Hello and welcome to Fort McMurray Matters. I'm your host, Ryan McNally. On today's show, Randy Boissonneau, the Federal Minister for Jobs and Official Languages, joins the show to discuss a new federal loan forgiveness program for doctors and nurses in rural and remote areas. Kathy Steves from United Way Fort McMurray joins the show to discuss an emergency preparedness session for new parents coming up tomorrow. And lastly, Dwayne Vigilance, the head coach of Keanu College's women's basketball program, joins the show to discuss championship weekend coming up. Joining me on the phone here today is Randy Boissonneau. He is the member of parliament for, I believe, Edmonton Center. Uh, Randy, how are you doing here today? I'm well, thank you. That's good to hear. Uh, loan forgiveness for doctors and nurses working in rural and remote areas of up to $60,000 for doctors, $30,000 for nurses. Uh, what's the thought behind this new policy? Well, Ryan, it's I got an upgrade a while ago, and as, as Minister of Jobs and Official Languages, I was able to announce that we took a look at what it was uh, taking to get doctors and nurses, uh, nurse practitioners, into rural and remote in northern Canada. And what was happening is we saw doctors and nurses kind of getting to the upper ceiling of the loan forgiveness that we had in place. And so uh, we decided to increase that by 50%. So what that means is uh, a doctor now can have access up to $60,000 in loan forgiveness and a nurse or nurse practitioner can access $30,000. And literally it's to make sure that we got more people uh, trained and living in uh, Wood Buffalo, in Fort McMurray, and, and practicing what they have at Northern Lights Regional Health Center and other smaller uh, you know, clinics ar- across the region. And I guess the other reason is just because if we're going to make on good on the promise of the $200 billion that we gave to provinces, uh, and that's about $25 billion for Alberta, uh, we got them in new money. That means we've got to make sure that there is the health workforce to be there and in addition to that, making sure that rural and remote um, communities have the uh, health practitioners they need, we're also working hard to scope in the credentials of people who live here, were trained overseas, and can now be part of our health system here in Alberta. You did touch on this a little bit here, but uh, maybe talk about the importance of keeping healthcare professionals in rural areas like Fort McMurray, because it likely can be a challenge. Yeah, no, it is a challenge. We've seen it. Look, we see it in 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 Atlantic Canada. We see it in 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 northern communities. You know, in 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 Northwest Territories and in Yukon. But in our own province, it's sometimes a challenge to you know once people have finished their studies, they've done it in a major urban center. How do you then make sure that they're going to practice in a in a smaller community, in a rural, or remote, or northern community? Well, part of it is put some money on the table, and then once they practice in that community and they you know set down roots there then they spend their career in the area. And we've structured it, Ryan, so that you can't actually get the, uh, the loan forgiveness until you've served a year in that community. And then people who are interested in getting this loan forgiveness have 90 days to submit their application after they've practiced, let's say, in, in Wood Buffalo uh, for that first year. The common complaint with accessing federal programs like this is difficulty to access. How easy will this be for busy medical professionals to access the support? This one is a straight-up application. Uh, goes straight into uh, Canada Revenue Agency. Uh, my department, you know, sort of piggybacks on that and just a quick check, and then the uh, the funding gets to the the docs or the nurses. It's some of the feedback we had from some of our other programs and. Uh, I think what we're going to have to make sure we do, and this is where we work at the middle school schools and with organizations like Northern Lights, is to let 
the professionals know that they have access to this because I don't want somebody applying on day 91 and being scoped out. You need to let folks know that if they're making that commitment to uh, come up to McMurray, that they're going to have access to this loan forgiveness. And, I mean, look, being a doc, being a nurse takes time and money, and being able to offset some of those costs to get uh, health professionals into uh, the community matters to us as a federal government. And uh, so we've made the, we've streamlined the process on the application side as well. Do you feel this could potentially lead to more people in a career in healthcare? Absolutely. And uh, look, I think we're going to have um, 3,000 more doctors um, and nurses will benefit from this program and up to 8,000 by 2032, 33. I mean, I've talked to some of these, you know, young docs, young nurses, and they're looking at the at the cost of, of being, you know, medical education can be well over 150 grand. Nursing also uh, is expensive. And so knowing that we're offsetting some of those costs to have a great life in a community like Fort McMurray. Um, look, we also have Canmore, Tabor, Innisfail, other communities in our province that are eligible for this benefit. So you're talking about great communities where you can build a life, raise a family, practice your craft. And so I think it makes a lot of sense. And we're seeing it in the numbers. Like the students are, and the professionals are taking us up on it. And so we just wanted to make sure that we were adding to it to make sure that we continue to have professionals in a community like, like McMurray. Why just healthcare workers? Why not uh, other essential industries as well? <laughs> so now you're, now you're getting into budget uh, and maybe budget asks and things over time. Ryan, look, we did this in budget 22. It was a really important thing for us to do because I, we were starting to see the numbers uh, tapering off and really concentrate in, in urban centers. And so this is about making good on the commitment that we made to Canadians and to Albertans through topping up the healthcare money. So we have to walk and chew gum at the same time. I'm minister of jobs across the country. And if I see that there's a, a reason or a particular, you know, uh, egregious shortage of workers in another area, we could look at scoping the program, but we were very focused on making sure that there were health professionals in rural and remote uh, communities when we did this. And I'm following really closely, you know, construction, uh, skilled trades. I do, the number that keeps me up at night, uh, Ryan, is that we're going to have 700,000 people in the skilled trades retire across Canada here in the next five years. So we're 30,000 short right now in skilled trades in Alberta. That's going to go up to another 40,000 to 70,000 by 28. So when I work with the province, when I work with unions, when I work with industry, it's how do we get people scoped into the trade faster. And to anybody who's listening, if you've got a young person in your life who's trying to figure out what they want to do with their job, with their life, they should really be taking a hard look at the trades because I think there's going to be a premium on uh, skilled trades people, on the wages they're going to make, and they're going to have long careers in the trade that they pick. And I understand this is a part of a fairly historic investment into healthcare uh, dollars and cents wise. You're right. So it's literally $200 billion across the country for 10 years, and um, that's to make sure we have more healthcare professionals, that the healthcare professionals we have are properly paid. It's also access to more mental health supports. It gives a little bit more data back to us as the federal government so that we're coordinating the system across the country. But really it is about making sure that wait times are lower, that we have you know doctors and professionals uh, in communities across Alberta and across the country. And so those deals, the deal with Alberta was signed, you know, in the last week of, uh, last two weeks of December with Minister Holland uh, and Minister LaGrange. And so we're making good on our promise to uh, Albertans and to Canadians to fix the healthcare system and making sure 
that health providers are there as part of that solution. I also wanted to get you on the phone to talk about uh, the uh, proposed policy from the provincial Alberta government impacting sexual education, transgender youth, and uh, pronouns. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've you've had some public comments on them. Uh, would you care to share them on our airwaves? Yeah, well, I'm, I come from uh, like I'm I'm openly gay, and I came out in sort of Ralph Klein's Alberta in the in the '90s. And my message is is pretty simple, like. This is a progressive, inclusive province, and, you know, people have, you know, got to the point where, like, you know, who you worship, who you love, who you want to be, like, that's that's your business. And parents are the most critical role, and they play that critical role in the upbringing of their children, and, and nobody wants to keep them in the dark. And and the vast majority of Alberta parents love their kids, and, and you know, they know what's going on with their kids. And, like, when I came out to my folks at 28, and and they said, we knew, and I said, well, why didn't you tell me? And they said, well, you had to be ready to tell us when you were ready. And so for a small majority of kids, like a minority of kids, home is not a safe place, and, and school is. And we just want to make sure that kids are able to grow into who they're meant to be uh, at the school, you know, in the, in the school system. And just make sure that we're not outing kids before they're ready, because that also can have damaging consequences. And, like, I see the numbers. Like, I see the numbers here uh, in Edmonton, uh, the youth homeless numbers, about 50% come from the, you know, the 2SLGBTQI plus community. Something breaks down uh, in a small number of communities. And so I've got half the kids on the street here that come from that community, and it can be dire consequences. Some of these kids get trafficked, they end up being in the criminal justice system, or they die. And that is not what I want to see. So this is about keeping kids safe. Uh, I had a very frank conversation with the premier about this. And uh, their government should find an off-ramp for this stuff. And uh, I understand Minister Fur said the consultations are coming. That is an important step, but they've got to listen to, uh, you know, the trans community and, and the gender non-binary community on this because they're talking about people's lives. The Federal Minister of Employment, Workforce Development, and Official Languages for Canada, Randy Boissonneau, thank you so much for your time here today. Ryan, all the best. Take care. We'll be back with more next on Fort McMurray Matters. Welcome back to Fort McMurray Matters. I'm your host, Ryan McNally. Joining me on the phone here today is Kathy Steves. She's the United Way Executive Director. Uh, Kathy, how are you doing here today? I'm very good. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much uh, for your time here today. I wanted to ask about uh, your event that you're holding on uh, Thursday afternoon. What can you tell us about it? Okay, this is called a milk event, and it's really a screening of a movie that was produced by a Safely Fed Canada. I don't know if any of you remember, but we had that wildfire in 2016. And uh, out of that came some great studies about how to respond to evacuees and evacuations and how to care for people coming out of all of that trauma. Uh, two amazing women, Jodine Chase and Michelle Pensabranco, um, one from Edmonton, one from Ontario, Uh, who specialize in infant feeding, came to help us develop an absolutely wonderful resource to help infants during emergencies because they're the most vulnerable of all of our little evacuees. So we talked about how to feed them, and and there was no uh, push to breastfeed over bottle feed, bottle feed over breastfeed. It's just basically how to safely feed your little cutie patootie in an emergency. Anyway, after we put together this uh, program, which included several systems to integrate other agencies, organizations, to work together to support these little evacuees, 
they took this program nationwide. In fact, it's now being um, used in Australia. And you remember they had some big wildfires recently and some massive evacuations. So our little program that came out of a wildfire has hit international headlines. Anyway, this um, screening of the show called Milk is about how to care for infants in emergencies. Anyway, we hope you can come. I think it's really a critical um, thing to learn about if you have a little one or you're planning on having a, a child because how you care for them in times of crisis will make or break a lot of things for them. Um, they found that during the wildfire, little tiny kids that were being fed formula for the first time were really suffering. Those that were being fed the wrong formula suffered. Those that didn't have the ability to sterilize tools and equipment to be able to be safely fed were put at great risk and many of our little evacuees ended up in hospital with gastrointestinal um, troubles. So luckily none of them passed away because of this so we're very thankful for that but we can avoid this this kind of stress in the future if young mothers and caregivers knew how to safely feed their little ones in emergencies. So there you go. That's the That's the rundown. Yeah, uh, what can you tell us about the screening of the milk educational program? Uh, you know, how beneficial is it for especially new parents to see? I'm going to yes. be a new parent here coming up here, oh, so uh, that's maybe exciting. just uh, talk about it. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, okay, so on Thursday, uh, this Thursday, the 22nd, from 1 to 6, right here at Red Pole Center, we'll be screening this video, and it's really aimed at young parents, new parents, um, potential parents like yourself, how exciting for you, about the way you feed your, your little tiny person. Uh, you probably already have a plan with your wife or your girlfriend about how you're going to feed your, your little human being that you made yourself, how exciting is that? But they're going to talk to you about, really, there's a science behind it. And there's some information that you need to know because sometimes we get to be a little bit um, carefree about how we feed our kids, thinking that what we're doing is best when we really don't know the facts behind it and how easy it is, perhaps, to breastfeed or how much work it is to uh, bottle feed a baby in an emergency. And, and if you choose that, that's great. Um, however, what do you need to take into consideration to keep your baby safe? And let's face it, we are going to have more natural disasters and emergencies. It is just the way of the world. Thanks, global warming. So to be prepared and, and to be educated in advance reduces all of that stress so that when something happens, away you go, you know exactly what to do. And this could even mean... You know, it doesn't have to be fire, flood, pandemic. It could be you're delayed at an airport for an extra day and a half, two days. What do you do then? Or you are camping. You're enjoying some outdoor time, and you've forgotten to bring all of the supplies to bottle feed your baby. What then? Or the power goes out for an extended amount of time in the winter, and you are bottle feeding your baby. How do you keep them safe? All of these things you need to consider when you're feeding your little person come into play. And wouldn't it be nice to know about how to handle them well in advance so that you can be relaxed, the baby is safe, everything goes according to a plan.
And I understand there'll be a workshop after as well. What are the things? What are some of those things that uh, will be taking place during that time? Well, that's an opportunity to ask questions, to talk to the experts, find out. Um, you know, ask, ask the, the specific things that you need to know. Uh, if you are bottle feeding, if you are breastfeeding, how does that work? Uh, what kind of things should you put in an emergency kit when you have an infant that would keep them healthy and safe? All of those great things. It's going to be an opportunity for you to come and talk to people who also have uh, small human beings and find out how they do it and uh, learn from the masters as well. Say Thursday afternoon isn't a great time for parents to attend this event. Uh, will these resources be available at United Way? That is a great question. I, I think we're going to find out more about that on Thursday, if they're able to leave those resources here. But there is also a great um, social profit agency here called the Hub Family Resource Centre, and they are co-hosting this event with us. And they are certainly a fantastic place to go if you have questions about how to raise your little human being. And I'm sure that feeding, safely feeding them is one of the topics that they discuss. Kathy Steves, the Executive Director of United Way. Anything else you'd like to add here today? That's it. I just sure hope you can come 1 to 6 p.m. this Thursday, Red Pulse Centre. It would be great to see you. Awesome, Kathy. Thank you so much for your time here today. Okay, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Coming up, my chat with Keanu College's Dwayne Vigilance on Fort McMurray Matters. And we're back on Fort McMurray Matters. I'm your host, Ryan McNally. Joining me on the phone here today is Dwayne Vigilance. He is the head coach of the women's basketball program at Keanu College. Dwayne, how are you doing here today? I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me. Thanks for uh, joining the program here. How has this season gone for your group? Yeah, it's, it's kind of been an up-and-down season. Um, we have a, a young crew this year, um, but a crew that's very promising and very excited about in the next few years. Um, we're just, we're, you know, we, we took some lumps, but it's all about learning and, and getting better for the next game. Yeah, notice the stumble in February, winning just one of the last four. Uh, how can you get get your group uh, turned around here uh, heading into championship weekend? Yeah, it really it's just about consistency for, for us and, um, you know, staying within a, a little bubble and doing the things we do very well. Um, again, for us, it's, you know, trying to incorporate those, those young kids and making sure our, our veterans are, are leading, you know, and, and doing the things they need to do to lead this team to, to wins. You head into the ACAC as the number five seed from the north, so you've done enough to make it to the dance. What's the mindset heading into championship weekend? Yeah, really, it's it's really kind of a, a little quick reset. Um, really, what we've done to this point, um, win loss wise, doesn't really matter now. Now it's you know you win in advance and you lose, you go home. So it's just again keying on the things we do very well. Um, and, you know, leaning on our veterans to, to lead our, our, our young kids um, to, to wins. You obviously want to do well and potentially win, but do you also see this as a great opportunity for a group that uh, you say is a, a fairly young group as well? Yeah, absolutely. This is a great experience for, for these young kids to being in a playoff format, to see what it's like to, to travel on the road and, you know, being in kind of in a quasi-hostile you know, environment. So, you know, I think win or lose for us, there's some great takeaways for us for building blocks for next year. We only lose uh, one player in case he was our 50-year vet right now, and then we have all 11 kids coming back. So, you know, if they can put more tools in their toolbox and have some experiences to take for next year, you know, I think we're we're looking very well to, to do well next year. 
So what? all in all, what are you hoping your group takes away from championship weekend, regardless of the outcome? Yeah, the biggest thing is that they're good enough to be there. That's the, the biggest thing is having that confidence to know that we're good enough to be there, whether we win or lose, is just having that mentality of that we can we can do it and we are good enough. I asked a few other coaches about this now uh, with Keanu College, but what's recruiting like for your program? Because I do notice uh, a few players on the roster from outside of Canada, some from the U.S., I believe one from Serbia, am I correct? Correct, yeah. Yeah, so I guess just what does recruiting look like for your program? Recruiting is kind of, for, for me, just like any other coach, is kind of turn over every stone you possibly can to build a, build a program that's going to be uh, successful. So for me, like I, I dig into, you know, to Europe and the United States to, to see what I can find. Um, I do a lot of recruiting out of Winnipeg, um, you know, small schools out of Edmonton, small rural schools. So I kind of go everywhere to, to, to get the, the pieces that I need to, to build this team. And maybe just talk about how great it is to have university-level women's basketball in Fort McMurray. Is It is certainly something that doesn't exist everywhere, especially when it comes to those remote locations like Fort McMurray. Yeah, I think we're very fortunate here in Fort McMurray to have a community and a college that's very supportive um, of sport. Um, obviously, with me being the women's basketball, co- um, basketball coach, is having women's basketball and women in sports you know, being one of those things that they want to support. So, again, for me, it's very fortunate for me to be in the position to, to coach this team and to, and to have that that support, you know, all the way through our athletic director to our president, you know, to our VPs and then to, to the community. So I'm very thankful to be in the position that I'm in. Say there's a girls basketball player from Fort McMurray who one day hopes to play for the Keanu Huskies. What are some things you're looking for in a player? Yeah, you know, no different than any other player. It's just having that ability to, to be flexible in the mind. Uh, the ability to work hard um, and to, to set high standards for, for yourself. Um, you know, all our good stuff that come in and have those, those attributes to, to continue to learn and to develop themselves. Um, but that's the drive that they have to have within. So, you know, any girls looking to, you know, be a part of our program is, is to have that mentality. And, uh, yeah, don't be scared to knock on my door and say, hey, I want to come to practice where we have open practice. I'm very welcome to have, you know, you know, grade nine, grade ten, grade eleven, even grade twelve come to our practice. This year, we've had a couple of kids in the community come to our practices, and it kind of changes their mindset. They give them a little confidence to take back to their team. Dwayne Vigilance, the women's basketball head coach. Anything else you'd like to add here today? Uh, no, other than you know, uh, you know, support us from afar, and hopefully, we can uh, do you guys proud. Well, great stuff, Dwayne. Uh, good luck championship weekend, and uh, we'll be cheering for you back home. Great. Thank you. Appreciate it. That was our show for today. A big thanks to all of our guests for joining the show. Tomorrow's show will feature an entire preview of Keanu College's championship weekend as men's and women's volleyball and basketball teams head to the ACAC championships. Thank you for listening to Fort McMurray Matters. I'm Ryan McNally. Have a good day.